what is it that you do? It is a question that I hate. Um, it sparks dread within me because there's nothing like someone finding out that you're a pastor to ruin all future conversations. People just don't know what to do with you anymore. They don't know what words are okay to say, what words are not okay to say. And it takes a while to just get back to normal relationship with people. But what is it that you do? Like, this is a big part of who we are. Grads, congratulations. You now have to ask yourself this question, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And within small talk, right, it's probably like question two, three, four. Like, it comes up pretty close to the beginning of meeting someone. So what is it that you do? Work. <laughs> It's an important part of who we are. It's, it's an important part of our identity. Think about all of the times from kindergarten to grade 12 that you were coached within this idea of what you were going to do with the rest of your life. You likely had a teacher that was pointing out some positive attributes, some career-related things that fit who you were. A study said that we spend approximately 90,000 hours working if you work outside of the home. 90,000. Like, that's a lot. If you work inside the home, you work much more than that. Stay-at-home moms, we honor you, and we don't want to exclude you from this. But if we spend a third plus of our adult lives at work... That's pretty significant. And so what does that mean for us as Christ followers? What does that mean for us as disciples of Jesus? Well, we are actually going to be going right back to the same passage we talked about last week, Colossians 3, 22 to verse, or chapter 4, verse 1. And last week we were kind of digging really, really deep below the surface of this passage and what it meant for equality, what it meant for the inherent value of every human life. And this week, we're going to look at this same passage again, but stay a little bit more surface level. Stay not quite as deep. We'll let Lucas do the deep ones. I'm just going to stay surface. Um, and we're going to go through this again before we move on to the rest of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, if you are new or exploring faith, if you just head here, myevangel.church forward slash Bible, you can have access to different Bible apps as well as a form that if you fill out, we would be delighted to send you a paper Bible. Because we believe that when you have your Bible with you at home, you have all of the wisdom of God at your fingertips. So it's important to know how to navigate it. So Colossians, again, is pretty close to the end of your Bible, and you're looking for that big number three, which indicates chapter, and the little 22, which indicates the verse. And we're going to go all the way till we see that big four and little one. Colossians 3, 22 to 4, verse 1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. 
And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Those who do wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we believe that it is true and we believe that it is powerful. That it has the ability when partnered with your Holy Spirit to shape and refine us. And so this morning, God, as we just look at the, the third of our adult lives... <laughs> And what you would speak to us in this huge chunk of our existence and who we are and what we do. God, would you speak and would you challenge and would you refine? And as always, Lord, would you just take my own human words and allow them uh, not even to be spoken. Would you speak through the power of your spirit for only you can bring change in your precious name. Amen. Well, most of us answer to someone, right? Most of us are employees, or at least we have a board of directors to answer to. There is someone above us. I know there are some in this room that that is not the case, but for the majority, we are accountable to someone. And I do want to put a caveat here because slavery and employment are not the same thing. Right? We can't actually look at slaves and say that that equals employees. They're very, very different entities. But like most things within the Word of God, when it was spoken and written in a whole different context, sometimes the circumstances don't line up exactly with the circumstances we would find ourselves in today, but the principles are ones that we can apply to whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And this is no different. No, we are not slaves. But we can understand the principles that God is asking these people in the first church here in Colossae to live by. So it begins with how we work. If our work life is going to be a mirror to our spiritual life, it's going to begin with how we look. And our work ethic should be that which sets us apart. In fact, how we work doesn't just speak to like who we are, but it also speaks to how we view God as disciples of Jesus. Colossians 3.22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And we all have worked with those people who only work when the boss is around, right? They only work when an empl- or a client or a customer comes in. We all know those people, And do we need to have work ethic when others are around? Absolutely we do. But this verse is pretty clear that like character, true work ethic happens when no one's watching. True work ethic happens when you will not get caught or found out 
for slacking. True character and true work ethic happen when no one will notice but us and God. When no one's looking. There was a man working on a roadway. And he'd been working there for a couple weeks when he went to the foreman and complained that he'd been there for two weeks and no one had given him a shovel yet. And the foreman said, well, what's the problem? You're getting paid, aren't you? And he said, yeah, like I am, but that's not the problem. You see, all those other guys have something to lean on and I don't. (laughs) And we all know that person. But the temptation to be that person is real. The temptation to take the easy way, to allow our mood, our energy levels, our satisfaction with the circumstance we find ourselves in to dictate our performance, it's real. That struggle is human. And I love the straightforwardness of the Proverbs when it comes to just saying it like it is, with the struggle that it is to be human. In Proverbs 14.23, Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Lip service doesn't cut it. Working hard only when you get noticed won't work. Having the right excuse, having the right reason, having the right Things to say when the boss walks in and you get caught isn't going to matter. Only hard work will. And not only will it be profitable here on earth, right? If we work hard, we lead to the success of our workplace. We lead to the success of our organizations. We lead to the peace of our homes. But it also gives the world around us a glimpse of the truth that Jesus changes everything. Because our work is a mirror of what God is doing in us. How can it not be with a third of our adult life being spent there? Think about those moments when the character of Christ in you causes questions within others. It's likely because the typical response isn't what you are doing at that moment. When you respond graciously to a disgruntled customer instead of in anger. When you just quietly and without asking for recognition put your head down and work that little bit longer because things just have to get done. Our God-fearing attitude of work ethic and how we work, how hard we work, the way in which we go about our job is going to speak something. It's going to speak if God is refining us to look more and more like him. He was a carpenter. I'm sure he worked hard. Or not. And a third of our adult life is going to give us a pretty good glimpse into those areas where God still needs to refine us or not. And not only is it a mirror for us of how we are progressing on this faith journey, but it's a mirror to others of who God is. 
they see Jesus reflected in us or they don't. And our work is an act of worship to the God who is worthy. So when it's tempting to skimp, remember we're called to work the how with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Everything that we do is in an attitude of reverence, of understanding who it is that God is. Yet that's only half of the equation. We work hard. It's what we do. We should. We should work hard. We should be the most hardworking people in the entire world out of a reverence for who God is and the understanding that he himself is a God of excellence. He gave us the best of what he had. He didn't go halfway. Like, he didn't go hang on the cross and then be like, well, I'm here, good enough. Like, I've got the nails in me, done. God isn't a God of halfway. God is a God of all the way. And we likewise have to be people of all the way, of giving our best, our excellence every time. But there's another how that also becomes the what. We work hard with our effort, but we also work hard with our attitude. And that becomes the what of what we say, what we do, what we're thinking. And that's, right, that's a little bit easier to fake, which I think is why God gives a little bit more text to it. Because God doesn't really concern himself so much on what we do externally, but a whole lot on what we're doing internally. Because our internal is what's going to navigate and dictate our external. So Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. And since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. I worked in retail for two years after moving to BC for Bible college. Um, And retail. Anyone who's still in retail, I'm sorry. Um, And I have to say that, that working as if I was serving Christ, especially at Christmas, was not easy, which is ironic, right? That you should be, it should be easier to serve Christ at Christmas. Um, But it's not, because people are grumpy at Christmas. Oh boy, are people grumpy at Christmas. Now, the super ironic thing is I worked at a card store. I worked at Carlton Cards, and like 80% of our customers were Christians, and they let us know it. But they were miserable, so miserable all the time. And so trying to keep the attitude of serving people who would like have the Christ is Christmas bumper sticker or keep Christ in Christmas bumper sticker on their car as they pull up to the mall, but then are like grumpy, beyond grumpy, in line with us was really hard. I had to bite my tongue a few times and didn't a few times. And 90,000 hours, okay? 90,000 hours of remembering that we are serving Christ is a lot of hours, It's a lot of hours to not react out of our humanity when someone presses our buttons. 
It is a lot of hours to smile and have grace and to treat people with respect when they are grumpy beyond grumpy. 90,000 hours to have the attitude of Christ is impossible. And yet it's possible. Because God never asks us to do something that he won't equip us to do. In Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, Romans 12, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. On the good days and the bad days, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, which means that we actually can make the choice to put on the attitude of Christ when we don't feel like it. We can make the choice to come before God and say, you know what, Lord, I don't want (laughs) to go back out there right now because I am not going to be able to bite my tongue this time. But everything that happens in this human body is an act of worship to you. And so I am going to die to myself right now, and Lord, I'm asking you, to come and to help me not conform to the ways of this world. I'm asking you to come and renew my mind and transform me so that when I walk out, I reflect you well. And I've never had a moment, no, I haven't always prayed the prayer, but I've never had a moment when I have asked God to intervene that he hasn't. Because God is faithful to his children. And in those moments when it would just be so easy to slip into the grumbling and into the woe is me and into the frustration, we remember who we're serving. That those 90,000 hours at work, many more if you stay home, we're serving God. And because we work out the how and the what when it comes to work, when we go to our nine to five as though we're serving God the latte, as though it's Jesus' car we're fixing, we're throwing in his laundry again. Right? When we plaster the image of God on the person that we're about to lash out to, it actually makes us pause. And it changes something in us. Because when those folded clean clothes end up in the hamper for the third time, thank you, thank you, whoever just did that. You feel my pain. Right? It's not my children. Yes, they reap the physical rewards of that clean clothes. But God is doing something to break down my pride, to allow me to be a servant of all, to work out the character of Christ in my life. And so instead of choosing to grumble and complain, I just need to say, Lord, this one's for you. (laughs) Because it's not for those kids. (laughs) Put those clothes back in there. 
This one's for you. And I allow him to allow my work, whether it's at work or at home, to be a mirror to what he's doing in me. And will that always be a perfect thing? Absolutely not, because I don't know anyone who's walking perfectly on this spiritual path. But it does give me an indication of how I'm doing. And it helps me to have this set-apartness that's present when God is refining and redeeming us. And so it allows us to go through our 90,000 hours at work, plus our 90,000 hours at home, plus our other 90,000 hours, which are likely spent sleeping. Depends on how long you sleep at night. That's a third, a third, a third. And they all become mirrors of this inward change that's happening as we look more and more like Jesus every day. But what about when work is just really hard and unfair? And home is just unfair because I already washed that laundry three times. Feels very unfair. What about when your other circumstances are just unfair? And as I was preparing this, I just went back to the fact of who Paul was talking to. And when it feels unfair and like, God, you can't ask me to do that for 90,000 hours, then can we remember that Paul is talking to actual slaves? He's asking this not of employees. He's asking this of actual slaves. People who are not people in their culture, who are little more than property to be acquired and traded. And in this case, there would have been slaves that that's all they ever knew. Like, they were born into it. Their parents were property. They were property. Maybe didn't feel as unfair to them. But there were others who, through circumstances or poor decisions, went into indebted slavery, who were human, like they were people in the eyes of society, and they actually had their personhood stripped away from them. They once were a person, and now they're property. That would be a hard pill to swallow. And then there would have been a group who, like Joseph in Genesis, would have been kidnapped and sold into slavery who through no decision of their own, just a tragic moment in time, now we're at the whim and the mercy of a master. Taken from everything they knew. And these people wouldn't have just been, like when we think about like slavery in Egypt, right? Building the pyramids, or we think about the roads of Rome, Like, there were doctors and teachers and other professionals that did it out of being slaves. And you just think, that must have felt so unfair. And yet the how and what of how they went about their day and how they honored their masters and how they worked each day is what they're being asked to. And all of a sudden, maybe life doesn't feel so unfair when they have to put the third clean, folded load of laundry back into the washing machine. I mean, it's been stepped on. I can't just put it back. And God cares about our circumstances. Absolutely, he does. 
And I think his heart for justice absolutely burns when he sees the injustice that the free will of humanity inflicts. But his perfect justice will be satisfied. In verse 25, it says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There's no favoritism. Church, he's not talking to masters here. He's still talking to the slaves. He's still talking through principle to us as employees. There's something that's beautifully freeing to know that God has our back and all injustice is going to be answered by a perfectly just God. But there's also something terrifying. Because as he's talking to these slaves, he's saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter if you feel right and vindicated to lash out and respond however you want. The actions of one don't get to dictate your actions, Christian. You don't get to act now out of your broken humanity. The how and the what, you go through those 90,000 plus hours for them their entire life. It's dictated by me, by God. And regardless of our situation or circumstance, we're called to obedience, period. Period. It may just be me, but oftentimes my bad attitude or temptation to slack off at work often has much less to do with the people around me um, and far more to do with my own sense of effort and reward. Right? Does everyone love rewards? I certainly do. Like, that was a hard day of working, cleaning the house, whatever. I want a latte. Honey, go get me one. Effort, reward. It's what happens. And I, anyone done the five love languages? I'm an affirmations girl, and I have a love-hate relationship with it. So deep down inside, all I want is a pat on the back, and that was great. Because if you know me from all of these messages, or you know me personally, you know that I don't like good. Like, good is a failure. I want great. So all that I want deep down inside is a pat on the back, and wow, that was great. But I also hate it in the moment. It's the most uncomfortable, horrible thing in the world, but I will, like, hold on to it as treasure forever. But the flip side of that, because all of our strengths are also our weaknesses, is that when I don't get it, when I feel overlooked and unappreciated, I get cranky. You just have to ask Lucas. When I feel like people aren't pitching in enough and they're not being sufficiently grateful, right? Sufficient being the word then I cannot be a fun person to live with. And oftentimes, I'm just going to speak in generalities now because I'm sure I'm not alone. Oftentimes, the bait that gets us to forget the how and what we're supposed to work is because we've misplaced the expectation of reward. And we've put it on the temporary here and now instead of the eternal where it belongs. 
in Colossians 23 and 24. We're just going to kind of, we are flip-flopping all over here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And of course, that would have been the most freeing idea, as I'm sure Lucas talked about last week, that these slaves who are little more than property now have an inheritance. They can be adopted into the family of Christ. Like That's a beautiful gift to them. But for us, I don't love that verse. Right? Like, I know it. I know it's true. One day, Lord willing, if I walk close to him and I spend time with him and I nurture my relationship with him and I seek to honor him in all that I do, if I do those things, then I'm going to stand face to face with Jesus one day and he's going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my reward. But it's so far away. Does anybody else feel that? Like, that's great. And I know it's true. And that's fantastic. But God, what about now? Like, I kind of am putting all this effort out now. A thank you would be nice. I'm putting all this effort out now. Just having coffee show up beside my bed would not be too much to ask. (sighs) And I'm misplacing my expectations of reward. Some of our ladies, we've been walking through Lisa Turkhurst, The Best Yes, on Sunday evenings. And tonight at 7, in the lounge, is our last session, if you would like to come. But this quote was used a few weeks ago by Dallas Willard. When we want human approval and esteem and do what we do for the sake of it, God courteously stands aside because, by our wish, it does not concern him. When our aim is to impress human beings, he lets us do that. On the other hand, if we live unto God alone, he responds to our expectations, which are of him alone. And it was a bit of a sobering visual image of God allowing me to forfeit my eternal reward for my temporal craving, for recognition. And it reminded me of this verse in Matthew 6, verse 1. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And this is kind of the third of the three relationships, right? We had husbands, wives, we had children, parents, now we have masters and their slaves. And husbands, wives, submission, it's not about your husband. It's a heart issue between God and us. Honoring our parents, it's not about our parents. It's a heart issue between me and God. Working at everything as if I'm serving Christ, having the work ethic and the attitude that would reflect him well, it's not about my employer. It's not about the customers or clients that come in. It's not about my coworkers and how well or not well I get along with them. It's a heart issue. It's between me and Christ. 
Where do we want our reward? That often is more of a telltale to us of where we're on this spiritual pathway than what we do. Do we work hard so we can have the applause of man? Or do we work hard out of reverence for God? Do we have a good attitude because we like the people that are coming in? We want to win favor? Or do we do it because we're serving the Lord? Our work is this mirror to our spiritual journey, the deep things that God is doing in us. So slaves, Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Our work ethic and attitude both completely tie to our relationship with God and are at the same time a reflection of it. William J. Tom says, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. I believe we have a responsibility to use those 90,000 plus hours of work to reflect Jesus well to our coworkers, to our employers, to those people that we serve. And just a quick word to bosses in this place because it's a quick little verse. Let's do a quick word. Remember the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You too have a master. I love the inference there. Masters. Provide your slaves what's right. Be fair. Because you yourself have a master. And I'm sure we all hope that God will provide provide for us what's right and be fair. So we have the responsibility as employers to honor God and to reflect him well in how we govern and in closing, I just want to share this quote or this passage with you from the book, Thank God It's Monday by Paul Bartlett. Of course, we love Sundays, but we're even more excited about Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Because on those days, God has placed us in jobs, in classrooms, in playgroups, and in boardrooms during the week where we can actually connect with people. If these people need God, and we know they do, then what better place to connect them with God than in the places where we engage with them every day? That's why it should be about, thank God it's Monday, not thank God it's Friday. The what and how of work matters because we're reflecting the reality of Jesus and his heart for people in our day-to-day life. And if we allow Jesus to change everything, then we give the people we're working with that view as we don't stay stagnant, as we respond in ways that are not the typical. So, 
How have you been doing in your workplace? What's your mere showing? Here's the great news. A Monday is one sleep away. Or maybe that's dreadful news. A Monday is one sleep away. And the mercies of God are new every morning. Which means if your work mirror has not been that great, there's a fresh start tomorrow morning when your eyes wake up to have the how and the what that reflect Jesus well. Can I challenge us all to work, walk into this work week and whatever work looks like for you, whether that's actually doing the nine to five grind, whether that's at home, whether you're retired and you just get to connect with people in coffee shops and as you're mowing lawn and all of those things, can I challenge us to walk into this new Monday with the purpose of allowing Christ to be reflected well as he transforms and renews us into his image. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we are all on a journey and that we all are taking next steps. And so when you bring us to places like this in your word, it's not to beat us up, it's to challenge us to take the next one. And I thank you that you equip and you provide ways for us to do everything that you ask us to do in your word. And so I pray for this coming week, God, that the 90,000 hours of our adult life that would spent, be spent working, broken down for this week, that we would reflect you well. Because this week we would be intentional about progressing with you and allowing you to renew and transform us. And that as you do, you will shape the how we work as we work hard and diligently for you, but you'll also shape the what in our work, giving us the mind of Christ, allowing us to be people of life and blessing. And in those challenging moments, God, where it's just hard, would you help us to see you on the eyes of those we're serving. Thank you that you go before us in all things. We love you. In Jesus' name.